Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning and you're with Lyle and... Angela. Angela, how are you this morning? I am good. I am excellent. You're good and excellent? Yes. Which one's better, good or excellent? Um, excellent. Okay, you're excellent. Yes. That is fantastic. And what are you thankful for this morning? I'm thankful that yesterday was my day off. Um, I volunteer at Raymond Terrace and yesterday was my day off and me and my housemates went to Redhead Beach and just sat on a blanket and enjoyed the sunshine and the waves and it was fantastic. We certainly had a beautiful day for it. Not much of a swimming weather at this time of I year. I had no desire to get in the ocean, <laughs> no. but there was tons of surfers out there with their wetsuits, but I yes. had no desire. You didn't have a wetsuit? I do not. Yeah. That's fair enough, but what a beautiful day it was here in the Newcastle region to go to the beach yesterday, and you kind of had a day off because you did radio in the morning. Yeah, I just had the after day off. The after after day off, that's nice. Well, I'm kind of thankful this morning because I got some work done outside yesterday, and that's kind of like the first time I've really done that for a while. Um, I injured my arm a couple of weeks ago, and... Yeah, it was at the point where I couldn't even use it to change gears, but um, it's starting to come back there, and it was a bit sore after I used it yesterday. But it was good to be back outside and doing something practical again, starting to get a bit of exercise and sunshine and fresh air. Seems like you, I, I probably should have come and sat on the beach with you guys. Yes. Because um, maybe my arm would have healed better sitting there on the beach. I yep. don't know. You definitely need to make time to get outside. It's healing on many levels. It is. It's good for your physical health. It is particularly good for your mental health. Everybody needs to make sure that they get outside, even when they don't feel like it. Uh, that's in when you don't feel like it, that's the most important to get outside. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Right now, we are going to have positively different news. Go for it, Angela. Okay. Well... You'll notice a theme, I think, today in my positive news. And I will start out with saying a couple new things that are going on due to this pandemic. Um, First of all, there has been a bald eagle spotted for the first time in 115 years on Cape Cod. In addition to that... There has okay, been... Okay, wait, wait, wait. Let's get a bit, a bit of background for that. So how common are bald eagles? This is um, Cape Cod in the United States. Now, that's on the East Coast? It's in Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And uh, why would that be unusual? Well, um, as you know... I mean, 100-some that... years is just like a long time. Well, there's also nine new nests spotted this year as well in the state of Massachusetts. So as we have people have gotten more and more, you know, taking over the environment, animals have been pushed out more and more. And so I cannot tell you the exact numbers of what they were before. I just know that this is hitting records. And what was 120 years ago, you said? 115. 115 years ago. 115 years ago, people would have been hunting bald eagles because they would see them as a pest or a nuisance or whatever. Whereas these days, of course, they're protected and starting to move back into the area. So good to see nature recovering. Yes. Um, Another thing um, is the fact that there's a rare turtle. Uh, It's a hawksbill sea turtle. And it laid 80 eggs on a beach um, in Koi Somo, in an island. Um, yeah, so. Yep, that place? Yeah. So we've got an, another 80 of this uh, rare species of turtle, so hopefully they will all survive to adulthood. 
Um, yes. Good to see good to see animals that are on the brink of extinction coming back. You know, going back to the bald eagle story, I love bald eagles. I think they are one of the most striking birds in the world. And, of course, my wife comes from Wisconsin. There's lots of bald eagles in Wisconsin. You come from Michigan. Do you see many bald eagles in Michigan? No. Oh, really? <laughs> Definitely not. It's the other side of the lake and there's no bald eagles, whereas Wisconsin is just like... I mean, you'll, you'll be very excited. Up north, yes, but now not yeah, where yeah. I live. Yeah, not where I live. Yeah. No, unfortunately. You know that um, Benjamin Franklin wanted to make the U.S. country bird um, a turkey, not a bald eagle, because bald eagles are actually scavengers, so they're not the most bird to be proud of in the world. Yeah, but they're such a beautiful bird, and a turkey's a turkey. Really? Well, that's why he lost. <laughs> yes, and he deserved to lose that one. All right. So moving on, um, some interesting things. First of all, um, due to the COVID-19 crisis, um, the world um, has started to recognize the fact that the health of people and nature is intertwined. Um, and so further steps have been taken into like realization that we need to protect the planet, its climate, and its ecosystems. There was an article released on June 5 that says we got to do something about this because habit um, degradation and biodiversity loss are accelerating. Climate disruption is getting worse. There's uh, more frequent and damaging fires, floods, droughts, and superstorms. Uh, so they're like, we have to do about something about this to care for humanity. We have to care for nature, which I think goes right along with the Bible and the fact that we know that the earth um, will groan and labor as the world starts to end. And so it's interesting to me that scientists are saying there's a problem here. As we care for the earth, we care for others, which if you look in Genesis um, and creation, the first gift we were given was the gift of the earth that was given to Adam to take care of it. And so it's really incredible to me um, that the world is recognizing, wait, there's an intimate relationship here. Absolutely. And so what they've decided, um, the UN has launched something called Race to Zero campaign. It's alongside with Britain and Chile, um, and they're committed to have net zero emissions by 2050. That's a very, very bold target right there. I I find that kind of hard to believe is even plausible. But hey, if it can be, if it can be achieved, then that's fantastic. Well, yeah. right now wow. it's a it's a new um, climate campaign, and it's uniting 120 countries um, with net zero emissions initiatives backed by 992 businesses, 449 cities, 21 regions, 505 universities, and 38 big investors. So I think. We're going to see something. <laughs> We're going to see something. That's that's for sure. And everything we get to see is a step in the right direction. There's no question about that. It's interesting you were talking about what the Bible says. Another place, the Bible, two and a half thousand years ago, the Bible prophesied that the earth at the end of time would become old like a garment. Mm-hmm. Now, if you think about you know your favorite pair of jeans or whatever, and you wear them and 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 then they get holes in them and they start to fall apart and you're still wearing them because they're just your favorite pair or it might be a favorite pair of boots or something like that. You know, they're just worn into the shape of your foot and they're just so amazing. And But they just wear out, don't they? And the Bible says that that's exactly what's going to happen to our planet as we get near the end of time. It's just going to wear out. And that's what we're seeing. Well, I think what's interesting to me is the fact that technology, yes, is good, but all this new technology has been very hard on our earth. We're able to do things at a much harsher rate than we ever could before because we can drill into the earth at incredible speeds or all these different things. And now scientists are like, whoa, due to all these things, there's a problem. 
And the Bible says that when God comes back, that God will destroy those who destroy the earth. Strong mm-hmm. statement right there. The reality is that our generation is the only generation in which that prophecy could be fulfilled because we're the only generation who has the capability of destroying the earth. Well, just 50 years ago, um, we've all had, we had all some connection with the earth for the most part. Gardening, agriculture was the way we mostly lived. Well, now we're completely disconnected from that. So it makes sense that people are unaware of, oh, wait, what I do matters to the earth. Absolutely. So 50 to, years ago, people still grow, grew a vegetable garden in their backyard. Yes. To end that with a quick matter. positive story, over in San Francisco, there is a project, um, Brightmark is the company, and they've decided to um, do innovative plastic recycling program to develop renewable natural gas from food and agricultural waste. And they join with this program called Recycle Force, and Recycle Force is also helping the plant to recycle electronics, and they are hiring men who, and women who have been formerly um, incarcerated. And their main project is not recycling at all, but our mission is to help people that are coming out of jail and prison with training, mental health, drug addiction, housing, and then help them get a job. And so okay. they have found that mostly these kind of programs, like helping people who have been incarcerated, is 60 to 75%. They go back to that lifestyle. This program is 23% is going back. Okay, that's making a significant difference right there, and that's good to good to see that taking place. So so, so basically, their focus is to help people. Yes, and they that's just the, happen the, to be helping the planet at the same time. And that's the byproduct is helping the that, – that's that can't be a bad thing when you're helping two, two things at once. Yes, it's incredible. So they're taking the plastics to fuel process by breaking down the plastic to the point that it's made into diesel and various wax products. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so joining us the phone this morning for our um, – our regular weekly update on emotional health is David Haupt. David, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lyle, and good morning, Angela, and good morning to your listeners. David, I understand you had a big day yesterday. Did you get some good sleep overnight? I had a few hours sleep, not not enough, but uh, <laughs> ready for a new day. <laughs> I think I was talking to David yesterday, just sort of preparing for our um, interview today, and I think he'd been up since 4 o'clock in the morning and was this was about six or seven o'clock at night, and he was heading to, into his last meeting for the day. So, busy, busy person, David. We really do appreciate you taking the time uh, each week to join us here on Faith FM. It's my privilege. Thank you very much, David. Today we're talking about the role of spirituality in counselling and also in emotional health. This is an area in which I have found that secular counsellors as in you know, not coming from a religious background, tend to be somewhat excluded from. How important is spirituality? And for counsellors who cannot counsel from a spiritual perspective, a spiritual basis, is that a significant handicap? When we, when we talk about spirituality, often uh, the confusion comes in that we think about dogma of a church. So if I am pushing my dogma upon someone else, it actually will become a hamper. But there's an edge when it comes to spirituality when you can bring in a higher power god for me that our higher power is not just something out there it is a an individual and uh, that gives me an edge to to, to what 
others are providing, especially in the field of trauma, for instance, in the field of where people are battling to make sense of what has happened in their life. Um, when we go through trauma in our life, our whole foundation system upon which we, we build our identity, our worth and our value is suddenly uh, crumbling away and disintegrated and we have no solid base to, to build on. And, and that is where spirituality makes a huge difference. We have had trauma in our world in the last um, in the last few months with COVID, and then you know riots in some parts of the world. This kind of thing is spirituality something that can help us to understand COVID and you know the various issues that are creating trauma in our world right now. We've we've not just only had you know COVID and uh, the, the current riots. We've had in Australia uh, a long term drought. We've had massive fires, and then uh, as that fire started to go out, we were confronted with COVID nineteen, and now the major riots that are happening. So it is ongoing exposure to very traumatic events to the level where people just don't feel that they can can live anymore. And uh, some people take their own life. It is very interesting that Dr. Ahmad found, a, a researcher, found that religious belief among survivors to be the single most powerful force to explain the tragedy and explain survival. So here is a secular researcher that says that the number one key to overcome tragedy in our life is, in actual fact, spirituality. Yeah, that's pretty sensational right there when you sort of stop and – I mean, that's just – to me that says that if you're a counsellor and you're working in a field, you know, the the counselling field and you're not, you know, able to point people to God and point people to a higher power, you're working with one hand tied behind your back. Very true. And and therefore, it becomes the individual that has to strengthen themselves. And the traits for individual resilience, research shares with us and says that the big five in those traits are extraversion, uh, consciousness, uh, agreeability, emotional stability, and openness to experience. So what if I have an inability due to my background, due to the trauma of the events that I've been exposed to, that I can't incorporate those four, those five? What then? Because I have to be reliant upon myself. And and here is where uh, spirituality for the Christian actually makes a phenomenal difference. Because for the Christian, at the end of the day, when I am unable to react and respond and hold my own, I have a full confidence and trust that there's a God out there that is able, that has already been where I am going and he still has a thousand ways of solving my, my most difficult experience. And you and I, David, as Christians and Angela as well as Christians here, when we talk about spirituality, that's the kind of spirituality we're talking about because you know that's what we ascribe to, that's what we experience on a day-to-day basis. Has, has there ever been research done to compare various different forms of spirituality in people surviving crisis and becoming survivors rather than victims 
There has been, um, I guess, in the field of counseling, psychology, Eastern mysticism is uh, far more accepted by um, that uh, field than Christianity. Christianity is so often frowned upon. In my own studies, as I specialized in the field of trauma for my master's degree, um, I started to incorporate some of the spiritual elements in my practice. And my senior lecturer afterwards came up to me and said, I want to learn from you because I've noticed that the patients that you work with has a much quicker turnaround than even her own. She took a sabbatical the following year in order to learn the spiritual elements that I was incorporating in my therapeutic process so that she could incorporate that as well. What do you see as the... Uh, Go ahead, David. I, I want to raise, pose an issue. Let's imagine here that a child has been sexually abused by someone who they should have been able to have trusted. In other words, a family member. A distortion happens in the brain of that child where they, where they will believe that um, if, if they had value, uh, they would have been loved and protected and not been abused. How does, how do you help that child to turn their brain back to where it originally had to be. I want to suggest to your listeners that from a secular perspective, there is no way that you can turn, you can help them to try and cope. But the majority of those people will, for the rest of their life, live on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication. And, and this really angers me because it is the victim that lives with that notion that there was something wrong with them. It is the perpetrator that lives as if nothing is, uh, you know, is, is wrong. Um, from the Christian perspective, I'm able to help that person actually reframe the meaning that they place to that event and help them to move forward. And at the end of the day, where you see two people going through the same event, one becomes paralyzed by, the, by that event, while the other actually becomes energized, in other words, able to pr uh, live a, not just a productive life, but a life uh, in service of others due to the events that have passed, uh, happened. I believe that is what Christianity has to offer in these kinds of events. That's incredibly powerful, David. What do you see as being the biggest difference between Eastern mysticism and Christianity that gives that, 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 that actually makes that difference between the, between the two that, um, that Christianity has to offer that nothing else has to offer? For, for the Christian, there is hope and there's a future. And for the Christian, when I look at the, 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 the disadvantages and the, uh, the traumas that happen in my life, we interpret that as living on enemy territory, but this is not the end. In the midst of this, there is an eternal God that still has his hand over me in spite of the pain, the suffering, and uh, all the injustices that happen. So the Christian has the ability in the midst of a major crisis to look forward, 
knowing that there's a God out there and there's a future, there's eternal life, there's a new heaven, new earth waiting for them where there will be no more pain. And therefore, they are able to look at that pain and the events that causes that pain as crafting moments in God's hands to prepare them for unique ministry, unique service to help others. And therefore, you will find often that Christians use their pain, activating it to help others going through that same pain. The uh, Eastern mysticism focuses on God within you and getting in touch with God within you. Christianity focuses on dying to what is within you and focusing on God who was without you. How much Very of a difference true. how much of a difference and what difference does that make when a person is overcoming trauma? As I've already said, at the moment that trauma takes place, it shatters our sense of self. In other words, it removes, it completely destroys the foundation upon which your sense of self is, is built. And if you have to build on something internally that has just been shattered, what do you build on? Yeah, you've got nothing, nothing. nothing, nothing left there at all where the Christian distrusts the internal self and says, I am actually reliant on someone who, by speaking a world into existence, are also able to carry me at a time when I can't carry myself. Eastern mysticism says that you are God, therefore you are valuable. Christianity says that God died for you therefore you are valuable. Which one gives a greater sense of value and why? I mean, we're Christians, obviously, so we're going to come from a Christian bias on this one, and we, we, we probably need to freely you know, admit that, but I see a big difference between these two concepts. I'm more than happy to, to admit that I not only am a practicing Christian, but I also do practice Christian therapy. And I've seen the people that have come from the, the Eastern mystic therapeutic process and where it has failed them because they have to be reliant on themselves. And the moment that you share with them the hope as well as the confidence and trust in God and help them to focus upon that external, eternal God, you see the rapid transformation and change in their lives. I've seen it in practice, how that the phenomenal uh, move has been made and the growth that takes place in people's lives. Uh, and I'm not asking them to become a member of my church, but what I, the, the moment that they accept that external present God in their life you see the rapid change towards healing taking place in their life David wouldn't you also say the fact that the spirituality helps because it's a bigger picture as opposed to a narrow picture of just looking inward as compared to oh there's a bigger picture going out in this world sorry I didn't catch that the uh my my hearing is not so good, so help me there. Yeah, we're really struggling with that uh, second um, microphone for some reason, but uh, Angela was just saying that Christianity focuses us on a bigger picture, a universe-wide picture, I guess you might say, compared to Eastern mysticism, which just focuses on, on the internal, what is inside of ourself, which is a very, very small picture, and, uh, and, and the difference that that makes. 
And if that small picture of yourself has already been shattered and distrust and brokenness has come out of it, what do you build on? There's nothing to build on. David, it's been fantastic having you on the show here again this morning. This has been a really, really eye-opening segment, and we thank you so much for sharing with us. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Question of the day. Question of the day. All right. So if David needed a warm body to sleep with, why could he have not just asked for Bathsheba? Was Abishai called for her beauty for something else? And does this mean that David died as an adulterer? So this is really a continuation of yesterday's question. Yesterday's question was, why was it that Abishag um, slept with the king in in his old age? So he was he was dying. He was receiving palliative care, and we talked about how that um, this was. Abishag was his nurse, and she was providing the functions of a nurse. And in those days, the way that before the invention of electric blankets and internal heating, this was an effective way of providing for that. And so this was an issue of medical care, not an issue of adultery. David was not. The Bible is very specific in First Kings chapter one and sorry, first uh, yeah, First Kings chapter one and verse four. The Bible is very specific that they did not have a sexual relationship. So he's not committing adultery from that perspective. But at the same time, it seems rather dodgy. Especially when Bathsheba is mentioned in the chapter. She's so we know, we know that Bathsheba is still alive. And Bathsheba was probably considerably younger than David. Um, we don't know, but we know that she was alive and would certainly have been able to provide that particular service. So why not? Okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to first state what we do know and then I'm going, to sp- I'm going to delve into some rational reasons as to why this could be the case. First of all, the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 20 and verse 5, God, and, and this is one of many, many places you'll find this in the Bible, where God describes himself as, I am the God of David, your father. Mm-hmm. And so God claims David as being a righteous man throughout the Bible. And we read a passage like this just a moment ago when God speaks to Solomon and says, if you follow me like David, your father did. But then we look at David's life and we find that, you know, he lied to Ahimelech the priest, he ate the showbread, he lied to Achish, he nearly killed Nabal, he uh, married a number of different wives, Abigail, uh, Ahinoam, um, Michael, uh, Bathsheba, etc. He lived with Achish the Philistine, he lied to Achish and raided the Amalekites. He had adultery with Bathsheba. He murdered her husband. Um, He then lied to the nation. Then he numbered Israel, etc. There's a long list of David's Mm -hmm. sins. So why is it, first of all, why does God say, I am the God of David? The reason is that if God shows somebody very, very, very righteous who kind of never never had any recorded sins and said, hey, I'm the God of this particular person, we would say, yeah, okay, we get that, but we wouldn't really learn something from it. When he says, I'm the God of David, he is holding up David as an example of the power of his grace. I am the God of David who can take a person who is this much of a wreck, a train wreck of an individual, and turn him into you know, one of the greatest men in the Bible because of the power of my grace. So that's why he does that now. It also indicates, and there are many passages that David died a saved man, but what is this dodgy thing happening here at the end? 
why not just get Bathsheba to provide warmth? If he needs warmth, get his wife to sleep with him. Mm-hmm. It's a very reasonable question. Okay. So we don't know all of the answers on this particular point, but I'm going to put forward some reasons that I believe are reasonable and rational. So David is on his deathbed. He is receiving palliative care. Um, Abishag is his nurse. She is required to look after him. And nursing for anybody who knows anything about nursing is a pretty horrid job. You have to deal with everything that is gross and disgusting. Now... David, in his old age, probably suffers from you know incontinence. Uh, he may not be able to control his bladder movements, his bowel movements. There's going to be a whole bunch of needs that he's going to have probably throughout the night. And uh, his wife may not have been in a physical or even a mental condition to provide for those needs. She may have even flatly refused hmm. uh, because you know the way they got together was rather dodgy to begin with. And so it would not have been, for somebody in royalty, it would not actually have been the job of the wife to take care of somebody who's in the process of dying. You know, nobody wants to wake up next to a dead body. And so um, this is why you would choose a nurse to fulfill this role. Why did they choose a beautiful nurse? That wasn't David's choice. That was his cabinet members who made that choice, and they would have made that choice based on the culture of the time which probably is not that much different from the culture of today Mm. for powerful men, but that does not make it right. Yes. It doesn't make it wrong because David was not involved in it. The Bible is clear about that. So a few things to, uh, a few thoughts to take away there on the issue of Abishag.